Good morning. Welcome here. Sorry for the plastic bottle, but it's COVID. So um, we have a wonderful opportunity again to look at this this book, the Bible. And uh, as you know, that's more than 2,000 years old, and it's still as relevant today as it was when it was written. And the, that's one of the privileges of preparing a message. As you have prepared the message in the back of your mind, you just see how it, it impacts you know, every part of your life and of society. So today we're in Joshua 24. So I'll, I'll read with you most of it. So if you want to page there, <coughs> otherwise you can listen. Joshua 24, <coughs> starting at verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to seek him and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country to the seer to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterwards I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And they cried to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and he made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what they did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan, they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam, and indeed he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, and I drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, not, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave, a, gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them to eat the fruits of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the, whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. <clears throat> then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it's the Lord our God who brought us out of our fathers, brought our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did these great signs in your sight and pre 
served us in all the way that, he, that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive our trans your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve the foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are, witnesses, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the, God, to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God, will we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statues and rules for them at Sechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up under a terebinth that was there by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. And after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him and his inheritance at Timnath Serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountains of God. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. The word of the Lord. Joshua and Israel are again at the crisis point. Um, they, Joshua is at the end of his life, and he's concerned about his legacy. Not like the politicians are about what people would think of them, but he's concerned about the people he's leaving behind. How will they do? Because in the past we saw that uh, they're pretty fickle. When he went up the mountain to talk with God, they made a... a, a golden calf to worship because they uh, didn't see Moses. So he calls all the leaders and the, the nation in front of them, and he has a good talk to them. And he says, I want to review the history, how you got here, how God provided for you, how he chose you as a nation, freed you from slavery, uh, give you victories over enemies, give you divine guidance and provision, and now provided you with a land of milk and honey that has already built cities, established vineyards. And it says, let's look back. It says, I took you from Abraham, who lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, and they were uh, sun worshippers. But he called Abraham to be his vessel of grace, and he promised to him that he's, he will bless him. And Abram had to wait for 100 years before he had this, his son Isaac and was another test of faith for him. And then God 
out of the two sons, Jacob and Esau, God chose Jacob, and he called him Israel, which the Israelis were named after. And the name Israel means wrestled or contended with God, as we know that, it, that Jacob wrestled at the river of Jabbok with God, and God gave him this name. And we see from then on, the Israelites were always wrestling with God, and, um, and there were good times and there were bad times. Jacob and his family then went to Egypt, and they were saved from the, from the drought by God's provision of having this, his son Joseph there to, to accommodate them. But that turned into slavery. Then God sent Moses and Aaron, and he, he, did, um, he, put, he leaned on the, on the Egyptians to make sure that they know who he is, and then he eventually freed the Israelites after the, um, the angel of death came by and the Israelites were saved by the blood of the Passover lamb on their door lentils. Then when they left and eventually freed, they were at the Red Sea, that is totally impossible, with the Egyptians and their chariots on the way to destroy them. And again, God came through. He made a dark for the Egyptian army, and he opened the, uh, the sea, and the Israelites went down through that on dry land, and afterwards destroyed the Egyptian army. After that, they wandered for 40 years in the desert, and God gave them victory over the enemies they encountered there. We remember um, Balak that asked Balaam to curse the nation of Israel, and Balaam was sort of not totally following God, but decided to go and check this out. And we remember how his donkey turned around and talked to him. So when your donkey starts talking to you, you know you're in trouble. So then we, we read about them crossing the Jordan miraculously on dry ground, and then defeating Jericho and I in similarly very um, miraculous ways. God even defeated armies, as we see with hailstones, and previously with hornets, driving nations out, just to show them that he will use them, but he can do it without them. And then God didn't just give him a piece of wilderness to in, in, invade. As we mentioned, he has these um, nations build up cities, and infrastructure, and vineyards, and whatever else in those days were state of the art. And then he basically gave it to them already developed. But he didn't give it to them just all at once, because they were not enough people. We read in Exodus uh, 23, 29, he said, I will drive them out before you in one year. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land. So God even thought about that. He didn't want to have lots of, of vacant land and uh, the wild game take over and it's dangerous to go there. He had a plan for everything. So now in the, in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey was an expression of just abundance, and um, they're able to enjoy it. 
but they are in the fork in the road, at the fork in the road. Joshua says, we have a, you have an ch- opportunity to decide. Are you following God, or are you going back to your pagan gods that didn't do anything good before, but I know your history? Um, and he says, if you decide to, to follow God, it's not a light decision. This is a, a, a serious commitment. And it will cost you to surrender to God, cost you everything. We read in verse 14 again, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers they served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he says, you can't just say, okay, I, I, we will do that. So you have to think about it. You have to count the cost. You have to consider what, what God demands of you. you. If you fear the Lord, you need to serve him. And if you serve him, it has to be in sincerity and in faithfulness. And you cannot even have any remnants of these gods in your house because they will distract you and bring you down again. And he said, uh, to show his leadership, he says, it doesn't matter what you decide. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he was hoping that that would be an encouragement for the Israelites to follow him. uh, Yeah, so we know that in the past, they did serve the Lord and then fall off. And Joshua is aware of the situation. And he doesn't want them just to choose God because of the benefits of protecting and blessing them. He wants to make sure that they truly know him, fear him, and serve him. In Matthew 10, 28, we read, Do not fear those who kill the body, that, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So committing to God is a very um, serious commitment, and that's what he's trying to get across here. In Psalm 2, we read, To serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So even today, we have a real issue of fearing God, even as Christians. We more likely fear man. We are very concerned about what other people think of us. And if we truly fear God, the fear of man will disappear. That doesn't mean we need to be mean to people, because God is a God of love. But it, it, it means that we need to honor God firstly and do something. In, we need to do, do what he tells us to do, even if other people will not um, approve of that. Doesn't, and, but we have to do it like the Bible says, and we need to do it in love. He urged them to serve God with sincerity and truth. No superficial signing up for you for the benefits of being 
a part of God's, part of God's holy nation. It says, we, this sincerity means it has to be the cry of your heart. You, it's a, a desire for you to know God, not just enjoy his blessings. And it talks about truth, and truth, as we know, we find from the Bible. And when we in, even interpret the Bible, we need to interpret as a whole, not being cherry-picking what we like in the Bible. And he says you have to remove the items of worship to be destroyed because those, even having them in your house is enough to pull you away from God. We read in verse 16, Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it's the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went. Among all the peoples through whom we passed, and the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. So, as Joshua reminded them of what God has done for them, they said, yeah, it makes pretty good sense. God's been good to us. He's going to protect us. Yeah, we'll sign up to this. And, um, but Joshua is still concerned about them just choosing him for the benefits and not wanting to have a relationship and being accountable to him. Therefore, he says, you will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. And what does holy mean in God's, um, what does a holy God mean? And, and um, I've been reading it, it means being without beginning or an end, uncaused and totally independent and sovereign. So that's a lot of, sounds like gobbledygook, but there's nothing else like that in the, in the universe. Like God is, is totally sovereign and independent. Isaiah gives us a glimpse of what the holiness of God is like. In Isaiah 6, it says, In the year of King Isaiah, um, the, king that, the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, covered his feet, and two, with two, he flew. And one called another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the, shook at the voice of him who called. And the voice was filled with smoke and said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So we need to make sure that we know truly who God is and how to act in his presence. And God is also a jealous God, he says. And a jealous God, it's not like we because we want something as anyone else has, but God loves us, and he knows for our best interest that we should not uh, indulge in, in other gods because that will damage our relationship with him and will be not beneficial for us. So Joshua said, in verse 19, 
you are not able to serve the Lord, for He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sin. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. So, so turning back from God never ended well for Israel, and it will not turn out good for you or for me either. We need to allow the fullness of who God is to impact our lives. In verse 21, it says, And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are a witness against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, Yes, we are witnesses. So Joshua said, Well, if you make this commitment, I am going to um, keep you accountable for that. And you will keep one another accountable for that. And 23, again, it comes up. Then he said, put away the foreign gods that are amongst you and incline your heart to God, the God of Israel. Then Israelites committed to serve and obey God. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people and put in place statutes and rules for them at Sikkim. And Joshua wrote these, book, these words in the book of the law of God. And it took a large stone and set it up under the cherubims that was at the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you false, deal falsely with your God. So the, the Israelites come around and said, No, that's our intention. We will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, this is such an important thing that we are going to write it in the book of the law and we will also make um, put a stone up there like a rock as a witness so when you see that you could be reminded and it's again you'll be witness with one another that if you deal falsely with your God this will be um, uh, just pointed out to you and Joshua knew that, they, as we know, that they didn't, didn't get rid of all the, the people because they were tricked into allowing some of the people to live there and that they would be tempted by the culture around them and they needed to um, keep one another um, accountable so that they don't deal falsely uh, with God. Verse 31 says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work what the Lord did for Israel. So we see the value here of godly leadership. And, but unfortunately, if we con continue in the Old Testament, we see that once these leaders were gone, Israel fell back into their old ways. And that is what Joshua was concerned about because they didn't cherish the relationship with God. They cherished the benefits from God. And there's a lot of us, a lot of this that we Israelites went through, we can learn from. And we talk about the legacy. Now, some of us are young. We don't think about legacy. Some of us are older. We think about legacy. But again, it's not the legacy of how will they write up my obituary. It is about um, did you did you listen did you obey the calling God has on your life? 
have the people you've been in touch with uh, walk closer to God. And um, I know Pastor Leland might think about that at the end of his time here, you know, what it is that, that, that God used him for. And God has chosen each one of us. He loved you and provided for you just like the Israelites. There's a story. And uh, he's died for you on the cross. You got your old nature nailed to the cross. So you don't, you're not a slave to your old nature anymore, although we still have the, um, the sinful um, nature in us. The, our personality has changed from um, being slaves to what Adam has got us into sin with and now being freed and being ch children of Jesus Christ. And the, the, the inheritance we have from Adam and the sin has been removed and we have the inheritance of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. So how often do we look back and, and uh, what God has done in our lives? And that's probably a good thing if we want to witness to people, <clears throat> we are able to tell them our story. You know, how God has touched our lives and how he's made a difference in our lives. So that's imp important things to, to, to consider. I fondly remember the song my grandma used to sing for us in Afrikaans, but I'll read it in English. <clears throat> when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you're discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. So, and the Bible tells us too in numerous places what kind of blessing we've been blessed with. I'll just read the one section, which is Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to the mystery of his will, according to the his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So this is a grand master plan, and you're part of it. That's amazing. We're also at the same place with the Israelites, um, a fork in the road, we always are, and it seems like more appropriate even now. And God has big plans for you. And, but you need to choose. And when you choose, you also need to consider the consequences. Like this, the Bible talks about if you build a building, you can't just say, yeah, I'll do that. You haven't decide, decided if you can afford the lumber and the roofing and <laughs> whatever. You, know, you need to know what you're getting into. And uh, so that's why it's important to read the whole Bible and understand the whole Bible. And that's where the church is so important. Just like the Israelites here were told that they were responsible for one another, to not to, that they would walk and serve God. 
And you know, and our, our the closest thing I can think of of this um, rock and the witness is the baptism. When you get baptized, you declare your um, commitment to God, and we need to remind one another of our commitment to God. And when we see it, one another fail or struggle, we are there to come alongside and help them and encourage them. The Church of Christ is not just another institution. It's not another club. It's the body of Christ and eventually be the bride of Christ. And just as God chose Abraham and his offspring, that lineage goes through through Jesus to us. In 1 Peter 2, it says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. And he's talking to Gentiles. You are a royal, pri you are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we were all in darkness. He called us into light. And we're a chosen people. And why? To show others the goodness of God. That is our mission. We are the new Israel, and we still have, true to the, to the term, that we wrestle and struggle with God. But hopefully not to get our will, but to, to understand God's will for our lives. Uh, ask God to change our hearts and to, to put us on the road where he wants us to go. And we too struggle with the fear of man, and we need to replace it with the fear of God. If we truly fear God, we will not be concerned so much what other people do and say, but we will be able to honor God in all we do and say. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We live in this world, and we live in this community, and we are not monks. We, God has placed us here, and he wants us to make a difference in this community where we are. We need to be engaged, but we need to be separate. There are, um, we always have these two, the spirit and the flesh working against one another, we have to be reminded of. Galatians 5:17 said, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. So we need to always go back to that and submit to God so that, this, that we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And God instituted the church. You remember in Matthew 16, I'll read it again. Then he asked after um, asked the disciples and special, and Peter answers, said, then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because of my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You do not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. God is the salvation is in the book and in Jesus Christ, but it, the church is the body to, uh, to help. Like we see young people, like 
babies coming into the world. That's how God wants us to bring in infants in Christ and help them grow. And um, God gave Peter the knowledge to know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Hebrews 10.26 give us a warning about not adhering to this. It says, for if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's no long, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and of fury that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved for the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the spirit of grace? And in verse 31, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. So we always have to be reminded of the, the kindness and the severity of God. God has blessed us to receive his kindness, and that's why we need to extend it to the people around us because the wrath of God is not something you want to face. And God dwells in the church amongst us, but for him to dwell amongst us in our lives, we need to be rightly rela related with him and allow his Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. The public see the glory of God in the church, but it's not this building, but it is the, it is the congreg congregation, the people of God, that people witness, not just when we come together, but in the workplace, on the sport field, wherever we are. And the church... In the church, we need guidance, encouragement, admonishing. And when we stray from our commitment and fall into sin, we need to be helped along. The problem with the Christian church in general, we've compromised too much to the world today, and we've lost the fear of God. We need to be a lighthouse in this community, something that shines right through the fog and the hail and the rain and the wind to prevent people from getting lost and, and dying, and a place that benefit the community. We, we also live in a community, and we, we're fortunate to have media, and today we can have this put on YouTube, and we have beautiful messages you can get on a podcast and on the internet. There's, um, there's beautiful books, all kinds of stuff, but all of those things, music, whatever, can either help you or hinder you. And I know people sometimes think that I'm over the top, but if you listen, if you, whatever you put into your, into your mind, that's what you're full of, that will come out. So if you, if you watch movies that are Though not helpful, they do one of two things. Very few things are neutral. <laughs> and I'm just mentioned movies, but it could be whatever you get on YouTube, Instagram, I don't know, all the things that are, <clears throat> but, and uh, it could be, you know, things you do outside of technology. Uh, Rabbi Zacharias said in a message that helped me, he said, whatever you do, you need to establish whether it's advancing God's call on your life or hindering it. 
if it hinders it, obviously you need to quit. If it advances it, enjoy it. So it's something that you need to think about it for yourself and evaluate what you're doing if it fits into that. And as a church, you know, we need to be guided by the, by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. This book is such a wonderful book. I'll just remind you in Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So if we spend every day some time in, in the Word of God, not just to get it done, but al allowing God to, to speak to you through His Word, He will reveal to you what your life looks like and what you need to do to, um, to line up with God's will. And we talk about worshiping and serving God, and that doesn't just happen here in the church. It happens in the morning when you wake up and thank God for waking up and thank God for another day. And the way your attitude is, the way you respond to people during the day, uh, how you treat people and love people, how you do your work. Do you do it just to get it done? Do you do it well to honor God? How you play, how competitive you are in sport and you have a good sportsmanship, everything that you do. And then coming to church and, and Sunday is also worship, but it's not just um, the worship team. I thank you, we doubled the worship team. That's nice to see. Um, and, um, and whoever does the message, we're all part of this. And it was, I read Martin Lloyd-Jones said, preaching could be useless unless it is a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the preacher needs to pray for that, as well as everyone listening. I probably should have told you that in the beginning. <laughs> but that's, it's your responsibility as much as mine that God will come and minister to us through the message. Then again, when we sing, you know, it's time to glorify God, to praise Him. And we all often feel when we hear all these things that we're helpless, and it's true. We cannot do much without God. And that's why I mentioned to the leaders yesterday, what we need is a, is a revival because God takes care of that. In a revival, God humbles people, but he is um, he glorified. And the fear of man is removed, which is often a big thing to hinder our walk with God. And another thing we noticed through the Bible is God's power is always illustrated when the chips were down, like they said, when back against the wall. Just as we read this morning, when the Israelites were against the Red Sea and the army was coming, they yearned to Moses, why did you get us out of there? We preferred to slave around and eat you know, meager portions, but now we're going to die. There's no, there's no option. And then God comes through and does a miracle. And that comes, goes for us too. You know, when we get at the end of ourselves, we often are, have some, some abilities, and we often rely on those abilities. But when we get to the end of that ability and say, God, I cannot go any further, then God is able to take over and say, I've got this. 
let me do it for you. So what is the legacy that you're going to leave? I know Anna's not thinking that yet, but um, we are all, every day is, could be our last day. We never know. So how is it that, did you do what God called you to do? Have you invested in the things of eternity? As we know, the things that we see and, and, and around is going to be gone. So did you touch any lives? Did you make someone see God and uh, Jesus in a, in a better light than they had? So just a, re a reminder that God called you and gifted you with an expectation to make much of him. And you can only do that when you truly fear him and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And to close off, I'll just read verse 14 again. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and faithfulness. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we praise you for loving us in spite of who we are. Dear Lord, we know we're just like the Israelites and we have short memories. But thank you that you love us in spite of that. That you've taken our obligation to sin away and that we've given an opportunity to serve you. And dear Lord, we pray that um, you through your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts and in our lives to change us and mold us. That we won't be transformed by the community around us, but we will transformed by the renewing of our mind as you work in us and through us. We thank you, dear Lord, for this opportunity to be a family of believers, that we can encourage one another and remind one another of our commitment to you, but also that we, will, we need to show the rest of the world of the goodness of God so that they will know you and walk with you. And dear Lord, we know we can do nothing like that by ourselves, but only in you we trust. Amen.